You're listening to Systems Thinking for Kids, the podcast for teachers and others who want to help kids learn through understanding systems, because everything is connected. On Systems Thinking for Kids, you'll hear conversations about how to illuminate connections for kids in the classroom, the community, and everywhere in the world. Systems Thinking for Kids is a project of the Wildwood Outreach Center at Wildwood School in Los Angeles. This is Systems Thinking for Kids. Your host is Jody Becker. My very special guest on this episode of Systems Thinking for Kids is Linda Booth Sweeney. She has devoted much of her career to systems thinking literacy. She trains adults in systems thinking, and she's an author with a new children's book coming out for early years readers because she believes that a systems thinking approach is useful, important, and understandable for the youngest learners. We'll talk about her book, her own path to systems thinking, and the ways she sees systems thinking becoming increasingly valued and used in a variety of contexts. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. So let's start with talking about your children's book that's coming out. What can you tell us about the book? I saw a preview. It's absolutely beautiful. Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. Well, the book is called Apart Together, and it's really a a kid's, in a way, I would call it a kid's first book of systems thinking because fundamentally it's about imagining interconnections, which is at whatever age you're systems thinking, you have to imagine interconnections because we don't see a system walking around, right? But so in the book, you see blue, a plop of blue paint and a plop of yellow paint. So blue is blue and yellow is yellow apart, but together they make green. And then you might see a seed and sun and soil and, you know, water apart, but together they make a bean. And so it keeps rhyming, but it's all everyday examples of how the magic that happens when things that are apart come together. And it encourages, like I said, imagining interconnections, but also for four, five, six years old, it's a book about cause and effect, prediction, transformation, which are all building blocks, right, of early childhood education. And it's really, honestly, when kids are get good at thinking in terms of abstractions where they, they have to imagine they can't actually directly, you know, manipulate something, that helps with academic subjects as they get older. So it's also got a good, you know, piece there for that. I, I'm, I'm just going to say I also really care about kids being confident with complexity. I want kids to be able to see something that, you know, um, imagine how something connects and be comfortable in that space. Because later on, as they get older, and they have to deal with even more complex situations, let's say, with reducing plastic waste in their schools or, you know, dealing with big, bigger social issues. No matter what, they fundamentally have to, to imagine how things and parts are connected. And the book is implicitly about systems, but not explicitly. So can you talk a little about that? Yeah, it doesn't hit you over the head with this is about systems thinking. But for me, no matter what age I work with, whether it's you know, five high school students. I'm working with, you know, social entrepreneurs now. The The fundamental place that we start is we have to imagine how whatever the, the issue is or, what, or the situation they're working with, how the parts are connected. So if I'm talking to little kids about vernal pools, 
you know, what's the connection between the trees and the water in the pool and the fairy shrimp and, you know, so, but they can't actually see lines between those things, right? They have to imagine the interrelationships and then we expand on that. And so for me, it's like the basic first baby step towards systems thinking. And there's so many, there's so many forces in our, in our world right now that push us into just really focusing more on what's right in front of us or, or on objects, but not using that part of our brain that's focused on, you know, the looking at interrelationships. And can you talk a little bit about your own path to systems thinking? When I graduated from school, I went and I worked for a major advertising agency. And from there, I ended up working for Outward Bound. And Outward Bound is an outdoor experiential kind of adventure organization. And so I ended up on a four-day solo. And on a solo, you're by yourself. You have a tarp. You have a whistle. You have a gallon of water, typically no food. And so I was I was in Moab, Utah, and I remember just being completely immersed in the ecosystem, you know, the little lizards and the, the gila monsters, I think they call them, and just watching the whole cycle of life, basically night and day. And I really got the idea of systems in my bones. And then when I went back to New York City, somebody had put on my desk a book by an author named Peter Senge, and he's you know one of the best known systems thinking authors around. And I learned about people using the, these ideas of systems, but applying it to organizations and applying it to creating learning organizations. And I realized that I had just experienced a lot of those same principles in the wilderness, and I really wanted to see how they transferred, you know, more in organizational settings. So I ended up, he was incredibly kind. I ended up working with him, working with him at MIT. And then I went back and got my doctorate at Harvard because I realized that why was it that I was in my late 20s and I hadn't really learned about systems thinking? And I wanted to see, could you learn these ideas earlier? What, what did natural systems thinking look like? How do we build on that? So I went back with some of those questions. And that, then I ended up, you know, dedicating most of my professional life from there to systems thinking. So you've spent most of your time talking about and teaching systems to grown-ups. Can you talk a little bit about what is the difference between explaining and illuminating systems for adults in organizations and working with kids? Some of the examples that I use with kids are the same examples I would use with adults. Like there's one example I use frequently that just gets you to think about your body as a system. And, you know, the level of conversation and sophistication changes, of course. The references I can make to other systems is different. But fundamentally, I might be saying something like, you know, let's look at your We live in a world of systems, right? One of them, we're walking around in our body. And there's certain features to our body. The way the parts are arranged matters. You know, you can't have the head at the tail and the tail at the head. And the the parts are interdependent. So if I take the heart out of the body, the heart, this is what I would ask a kid too. I'd say, you know, does the heart work on its own? And kids know, no, it doesn't. Does the body work without the heart? No. So they know there's an interdependency. If I say to a kid, you know, if I cut a cow in half, do you get two cows? Even a four-year-old, a little younger, not so much, 
But at four or five, they can tell you, no, of course not. And fundamentally, why do they know that? Again, they know that the parts are arranged in a certain way. And, it, and that integrity, they wouldn't call it integrity, but there is an integrity to the way a cow is organized the same way with your body. So that starts to sensitize you know, kids or adults to, the, to what is a system, you know, in, two or more interdependent, interdependent parts, usually within some boundary. In the case of the body, let's say it's your skin. And then I start to say, well, let's talk about what's not a system. So that's where we might talk about the difference between a heap versus a system. So if you have, you know, a pile, a laundry pile versus your body, what's the difference? Well, if I take a part out of the laundry or the bowl of nuts or whatever, it doesn't necessarily change the functioning, right, of that, of that heap. But like I showed with the example of the heart or key parts of the body, it does change the functioning. So it's, it's starting to develop an awareness, but I think that you can use some of those same examples with different ages. The other example that I use a lot is what I think of as straight line linear problem solving. You know, I got a problem, make the pain go away, or I, I want that object. So it's a problem result, you know, problem solution. But often that kind of approach can make the problem worse. So if you are thinking about kids on a playground, if somebody's bothering you on the playground and, you know, you shove them, you think immediately you're making the problem go away, but then they get upset and maybe they shove you back or maybe, you know, there's, so some, you start to see this dynamic of escalation. And that's, I think that happens with very similar examples, believe it or not, for little kids and adults. So you have significant experience working with young people, students, and I'm curious, I mean, those are probably through some self-selected schools and programs. Systems thinking is not a mainstream approach in U.S. schools. I'm wondering what you think K-12 through teachers and schools should know or need to know about systems thinking if they haven't heard of it or haven't been exposed to it. Well, I think one of the exciting changes has been that the next generation science standards now incorporate systems. It's called systems and systems models from K to 12. And that's relatively new. And so it means that systems and systems models, cause and effect, some of, some of what we would consider systems thinking is now age appropriately incorporated into next generation science standards. So for kindergarten, let's say, they're expected to understand that systems in the natural and design world have parts that work together. There is some really great research by a woman named Christina Gilmeister, and she found that children even younger are capable of attaining that standard. And so I think to your question about what do teachers need to know is that is they, it would be really useful to, for them to know what's, what's age appropriate at different age bands. I actually did some work for PBS Learning Media. We created a systems literacy pilot and laid out different age bands and different curriculum at different ages. So something about mangroves for you know elementary school and then the ecosystem that was a, and climate was middle. And then there was one about exponential growth that had to do with finance. 
and that was more for high school. And, and then I think the last thing I would say is that, you know, climate is also a place where integrating systems thinking is a natural fit. So I would not just go back briefly to something that you mentioned. There's just so much already going on, such a cacophony of different standards and curricula and approaches that teachers are asked or expected to deploy in the classroom. Do you think there's a place for systems thinking or is it that there's so much going on it's hard to break through? I think that's a really great question. There probably still is the same debate. Do you teach systems thinking explicitly as its own subject or do you go the Trojan horse route, you know, and sort of integrate it in to subjects. And I think you can go both ways, but I think fundamentally what's exciting to students, especially with different learning or information processing abilities, is that systems allows you to make your thinking visible in a way that I think, in an interconnected way. So if you're talking about, if you give a mouse a cookie, right, and you're the, the, that great you know, picture book by Laura Numeroff, and you're reading it, systems thinking would encourage you to, to show the path of cause and effect, mm-hmm. right? And you would, then you would be drawing this mouse wanting a cookie, wanting, a, you know, I forget all the different steps, but it comes back to the cookie again. And, the, and so then, you be, then the, the potential of saying, well, where else do we see that shape, you know, that closed loop of, of, of cause and effect? They might, they'll find other examples across in, in their different disciplines at school or even at home, you know, like sibling rivalry could be a reinforcing, you know, loop of one wanting to be better than the other and better than the other, you know, that that kind of thing. So I guess I, I guess I think it doesn't have to be its own explicit course or program. It can be a way to expand opportunities for visualizing your thinking, showing using like causal loop diagrams, but also using very simple graphs. You know, how how is how is the let's call it, let's say the anger of this particular character, how 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 do you see that changing over time? You know, then you might use be using a graph. The systems question would be, what set of interrelationships are would be driving that change? And so it's like mm-hmm. a natural connection to all different subjects in right. school. Yeah, so I'm curious because you mentioned the science standards and you're very busy in your work. However, I'm wondering if you think that the systems thinking approach is gaining traction actually in the U.S. or is it something that is more popular globally? That's a really good question from a from an education perspective. K to twelve, I'm not sure, but from a, a application by adults, I would say it's it's the time. It is so much demand for systems thinking now. Part of that has to do with I think post pandemic recognition that you know part of the missteps were a result of asystemic thinking, <laughs> you know, of a lack of it, of isolate of of silos, of a lack of coordinated action, and and so 
I'm seeing it in you know organizations that are that want to create co-benefits around environment, sustainability, economic, and so how do they do that? They have to see the whole system. They have to try to what's called multi-solve. Those are all you know part of the systems thinking repertoire. So I guess what I'm curious about is you talked about the demand, but is the education system feeding that? Yeah, I I'm going to be honest with you, that that I don't know. I'm doing everything I can to reach every age, right? I'm creating resources for the very young. Now I have the the kindergarten level. I've got a big push around middle school with this, you know, climate work and so I'm trying to reach across the age, but I'm I'm more creating resources and materials and some, you know, training. I'm working with superintendents next month, but I don't know if the education system is, is stepping up to meet that demand, but there is a significant demand. And do you think that's because of lack of awareness or resistance or just other things that people are busy doing? I don't, definitely don't think it's a resistance. I, I really don't. I think it's a lack of awareness of the connection between that growing demand and that need because I think the voices, I don't think we've those voices have come together to call that out as a, as a, you know, high level industry need, right? Have we heard, we you know, I I hear it a lot, but have we heard that as a twenty first century century critical thinking skill that all leaders, all future leaders need to have? I don't think so. I think stewards of of systems change, you know, those who are going to be those those who are going to be making decisions around, you know, trying to coordinate collective action, those people are going to be the the systems thinkers of the future, you know. We want to have them be exposed to those skills across their the lifespan. So, you know, they're they're itchy when they see silos. They're asking you know, how is this going to influence that? Yeah, I mean, one part of this that is puzzling to me is that tech is so ubiquitous and our connections to one another are so ubiquitous and it's invisible and yet not explicitly acknowledged, as you're saying, like in the classroom or as a goal of programs that people have in education or even corporate training. And I'm just curious about how, you know, the culture is reinforcing systems, but we're not talking about them. Yeah, and I do think it's happening in pockets. I think it's the fragmentation that's happening right now that it makes it hard to say that our schools are, you know, fundamentally developing systems thinkers to be our future leaders, right? There are definitely pockets of that happening in different places, but I don't think it's on the collective agenda. And do you think there's an opportunity to create a policy goal around that? I or definitely how, do. how might that be driven? Yeah, I definitely do. I think we have to articulate the rationale for it. I think we have to show how it doesn't create, you know, an extra burden on schools on how it can be integrated in a natural non-threatening way, you know, that that it, there's not great extra cost in integrating it. There's there's barriers that we have to get over to, but we have to also make the 
argument for what's the impact of systems thinking? What's the impact of a lack of systems thinking? Well, and exactly as you said, we're coming out of the pandemic where asystemic thinking got us into a lot of trouble globally that we're just recovering from. So here's to the future. Thank you, Linda Booswini. I hope you'll come back. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. You've been listening to Systems Thinking for Kids. For more ideas and information, find us online at systemsthinkingschools.org. And check out our stories on Instagram at systemsthinkingschools. Thank you for listening.